Luther is reported to have written that James was a right strawy epistle, meaning just empty. Not really a bad observation for someone who spent most of his life feeling like he had to earn God's favor. Others will look at Proverbs and think, uh, what's the point, aside from maybe Proverbs 8 and Proverbs 31, it just seems to be all over the place. Where is the wise preacher going? Hello, this is Todd Littleton with Pathological, a podcast for the pastor-theologian. We're a podcast that explores the intersection of life, faith, and thinking theologically. Today on the podcast, I have an old friend uh, who recently published a new book, Solomon Says, Directives for Young Men. And in his own words, he said, Todd, you've known me a long time. It, in fact, we uh, he pastored uh, down the road about eight miles in another little town. He said, I never would have imagined writing a book like this one. And so um, we sat and had a great conversation and I hope that you'll listen. There's a lot going on in our culture about men, uh, about uh, manhood, about masculinity. Uh, Mark takes Proverbs and does a, a great job of pointing out that wisdom ought to be our pursuit. And there, there are some ways he has opened up Proverbs that uh, I think are really helpful. In fact, I... Uh, confess right now on the front end that after I finish the book, I'm looking forward to holding on to copies so that my grandboys will have an opportunity. I'll probably give it to their dad so they'll have an opportunity to look over it. And then when they get old enough and it makes sense, I've mentioned it to our youth minister that I think this is a really, really good book. And when you get the a cultural conversation about manhood, masculinity, and toxic masculinity, and those sorts of things at work. You you need some clarity, uh, and I think Mark brings some great clarity to that. Uh, even though that I don't believe is his primary motivation. Secondly, uh, I think that what he offers is really good for everyone. And so while he takes the language of Proverbs, where uh, a son is receiving instruction. I think this is um, universal, and and uh, Mark may he may disagree with me on that point, but um, I'm actually recording this after the facts. We didn't get we didn't get a chance to discuss it, but I think the pursuit of wisdom is for all people, not just for men. And so I would be um, an egalitarian in pursuit of wisdom in that regard, and I think that uh, wisdom ought to be something all human beings pursue. And so if you keep that in mind as you listen and know he's uh, couching it and his book couches it in the same um, register that Proverbs has given to us, I think everyone would benefit from uh, Mark's work with Proverbs. So I'll uh, have a little information on the backside, but now here's my conversation with Mark Horn. Yeah, how so, so how are you, man? I am, I'm good as can be expected. I am... Um, Getting a little bit of cabin fever, as as I'm sure you are, and everyone else is, you know. Oh uh, yeah, but yeah, but you look like you're staying in shape. I'm 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 trying. I'm you're trying. An, you're an encouragement. Okay, good. I um, yeah. 
I wouldn't want to start out this way. I'll tell you that. And kind of, uh, you know, this is a lot more, um, harder and more boring at the same time. So sure. Yeah. But, um, sure. I try to do something. It's amazing how it's hard it is to fit it in. I've got all this free time and somehow I, <laughs> I consume it inordinately. It's I'm not, I'm not a good example of a, a wise man in that regard, but I try to get stuff done. I find myself the same in the same boat. I, I've tried to set a different schedule that I'm working from home and I'm like, okay, I'm, I've got this hour designated and right. It time time goes away. It just, it just all of a sudden it's there or whatever. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so yeah, I'm trying to keep at it even stuck at home. Um, but, uh, it's great to see you. I mean, I, see you. I can't tell you how much I tried to keep all of my personal hobbies out of the book. So hopefully, <laughs> hopefully I succeeded. You did fine. <laughs> you did fine. Well, um, normally what I do is just have a conversation. I, I, I we'll talk about, uh, about the book, about you and, and just, you know, way one, I, I found it, you know, really, really helpful really good, accessible. Good. And I thought that, uh, you know, when I read something like that, I try to get a hold of somebody and say, Hey, let's have a conversation about it and try to help get the word out. You know, uh, thank you. I hope the word gets out. Um, obviously I've got like a personal interest in that beyond my pure spiritual desire to transform <laughs> the world for the gospel, et cetera. <laughs> sure. um, but I really do. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I'm just going to start talking for a minute and interrupt me with a question or no, go start right off. Ahead. But I, I just want to say that Todd, you knew me back. How long has it been? Um, yeah, I was trying to think. Uh, Early... It's been 15, 16 years, 17 years ago. So yeah, like right. 2003. Yeah, yeah. I left That's in 2004. Right. I think so. I would say the thing. I mean, I don't know if this is of interest to your audience. You decide. But between me and you, I never would have guessed I would write this book. Okay. I mean. It's, it's, well, as you know, I have a, I'm a Presbyterian. I have a reformed background. Um, right. And I'm not trying to hide that anyway. Right. But it doesn't come out in the book at all. No. I, I, I don't think. And I, that's not, that's not because I'm embarrassed or, or I was trying to, or I was trying to get a wider audience for any other reason. I just, it wasn't relevant. Yeah. It, and it's amazed me. I mean, it's in the biblical theology, kind of like history of redemption type of stuff, barely figures into the book. Mm-hmm. Now, I, there is something about what kind of society is going on in Solomon's day. I think there's some interesting issues there that I suggest. But I like I I did a uh, seminar, and actually I did a lot more with like wisdom in the whole Bible, going starting from Genesis. And I think that's all important. It did it kind of would have taken away from the main focus of this book, so I didn't include that a lot of that. But so it lends itself to a lot more stuff. I just it was a very kind of practical book. And I wish I had written it 30 years ago when it might have done me more good than it has now. And I'm, I'm sure to some extent reading this chapters, especially on speech. Yeah, it's amazing <laughs> I wrote this book. But I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to learn, trying to improve, sure. trying to do better. You know, there's arguments about whether I've done that, but, you know, and all that. But I'm just saying I, it was really a personal um, trip for me. I mean, a journey, and I hope one I'll continue on. And I hope it will be the benefit to people, perhaps younger than me, yeah. And how to, um, you know, in getting a vision for what wisdom would be, and then realizing that they can actually become that to some extent. And you you need to try and see where it takes you, and that 
you know, that's just a Christian, a Christian ongoing quest, you know? And, um, so I, that's, I just want to say it, it was just a very, I was very surprised that I had this book in me. It obviously is short and, and it's really based on kind of a, a couple of main, like a, a thesis, you know, a mm-hmm. kind of direction. I'm not saying all there is to say about Proverbs by any means, right. Or all there is to say about sanctification by any means. Um, so, you know, there's, that, there's that. that was actually, you know, one of my, one of the first thoughts is, is what was the, you know, so what was the motivation, you know, what, what, what because I saw you, um, I don't, I don't always spend a lot of time on Facebook, but I saw a couple of posts where you, um, I think you're working on the book, but you had picked up and read Jordan Peterson, for instance. And, oh, and I, and I saw the crossover and I thought, well, I wonder if this is in response to, if there's, what was the motivate? What was the, uh, right. was there? Yeah. I did not read that book and refused okay. to read it until I finished my manuscript and was giving, showing it to other people because I did not want to either. I didn't want to be derailed in a couple of ways, either to agree with them or to feel like I had to differ with them. Right. It was like, this book actually goes back to like 2011 and you'll there stuff has come up on my Facebook memories. as so I get, I used to say, I'm pretty sure that's the date. And it was basically started with me trying to memorize some portions of Proverbs. Okay. Just, I knew enough about Proverbs to know that it was probably the most likely thing to be a catechism in the Bible. In other words, mm-hmm. something that was meant to be taught to young kids to memorize mm-hmm. other than songs. I mean, songs mm-hmm. would be memorized in other ways, but sure. So, um, it was that. And the fact that it looks nothing like what we would think of as a catechism, I won't say anything revolutionary about that. So I'll just, just, <laughs> it, it would be fruitful meditation, I think. Anyway. Um, but um, I tried to memorize starting in chapter 10. That's the second book of Solomon. It's a, it's a, where it starts over the Proverbs of Solomon. I mean, it doesn't start over, but it starts a new book, has a new introduction. Mm-hmm. And it seems very aphoristic. I mean, I'll use that term for it, but I, I want to, I'm not sure we want to import ideas about disunity into the book because we think of it as aphoristic. But anyway, so in, I memorized three chapters of Proverbs. And um, I realized my, my problem with my, my, my goal was to memorize, you know, a large, large section of it. But I, I found I started overwriting <laughs> over old material. <laughs> so it's not, it's, you can't, it's not just a linear progression, you know, that you build on what you've done before. It um, gets a little bit uh problematic at least for someone of my iq and uh, at my age so but i did have the first three chapters memorized i don't need more because you have to keep actually practicing at it mm-hmm. like it's a routine you know a dance yeah. a dance routine something you have to like you know a piece of music you have to keep practicing it to be at least as good so yeah. i haven't uh, you know but i had it i had three chapters memorized and in the process of that that obviously made me think about it a lot mm-hmm. It also made me search for structure because, uh, as you know, a lot of things in Proverbs sound like a lot of other things. So you can go off, you can jump. If you're trying to say things in order, you can jump unless you start in your head thinking about connections, which aren't necessarily connections that are actually there. I don't know. I mean, I made some connections in the book that I, I talk about a few, but um, that I, I thought stood up to some scrutiny, hopefully. But I mean, in general, I was just doing it to, to memorize it. It's just successfully. So, and in that process, I just started realizing that there was this whole aspect of really Christian living that I really had not thought about enough. Mm. 
And it actually is it's pretty mundane in one sense. I mean, the secular people talk about it when they talk about the power of habit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you'd say, well, you know, I want real inner heart transformation. Well, I tell you, you collect habits, you're changing your life and your personality. Right. Now, it might be easier or harder for a person to do that in different ways because there's a lot of other stuff going on. But it is definitely something you can start and be self-conscious about and pursue. And God tells you to do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it. it and it, it just made me think about a lot of things. It made me think about the fact that, um, I mean, we all know that we have to ask forgiveness from God every day. I mean, it's in the, it's in the Lord's prayer, right? So mm-hmm. that, you know, daily, we have to ask every day for forgiveness. So we know we're not going to be morally perfect. So what should that mean to us? Does that mean we're always asking forgiveness? Well, yeah, it does. But does it also not, could it also not mean, therefore, we can always get better? I mean, maybe there's actually sins we should deal with that aren't even in our sights yet because we are blinded by other stuff going on. So, I mean, I'm not saying, no one's reaching perfection in this life. But and it you, may, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was, no, was going to, right there. But, but that, that reminded me, you know, you, you actually pull that off very well in the book, that, that, this particular issue that you address then draws in several things that might not have even been on your horizon. Oh yeah. That's what I, think I thought that was on. fantastic. I, I thought that was, that was a really, really, um, you know, I, I got to think about this, you know, my, I, I've got um, three grandsons now, none of them yet to the place where I could say, Hey, read this. They're not, you know, near old enough, but this would be something I would say, you know, let's work through this. Let's talk about this. And, and it would be something where we could be talking about probably something that a habit, maybe that they have established that they probably ought to dispense with. And then in the course of that, be able to point out, Oh, look at these other, the, the range of impact. When you think about sloth, for instance, yeah. And you, 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 you do that really well, drew that out really well. So yeah, sloth seems like a mother vice or like a, almost, it could be the source of a lot of vices or it could be almost mm-hmm. a, a, an aspect of every vice. Mm-hmm. Because if you're doing, if you're stuck doing some horrible behavior or bad habits, you're messing with your productivity as a Christian and as a human being. And so, I mean, I suggest the, um, the, 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 the proverb that's attributed to the Puritans that, you know, I haven't verified that and the internet's dangerous. I don't know for sure that's true, but (laughs) you know, idle hands are are the devil's workshop. Mm -hmm. So that imbues, you know, if you're not engaged in productive labor, then Satan's there and he'll be able to tempt you or you'll be tempted. I mean, that may be metaphorical. Maybe they didn't believe that Satan was involved in every temptation. I mean, you know, whatever, but you get involved in vices because you're not occupied with good things. But the other side of that is that, in the grand scheme of thing, if you want to talk about Satan's motivation, maybe he's more concerned about just keeping you from doing good things. Hmm. So he is, wants to encourage you to vice just because it'll make you like half the parent you could be. Right. Half the husband you could be, half the, right. half the worker you could be. It'll make you less confident in social situations because you'll be kind of plagued by this thing that you're doing that no one knows about that, you know, you know what's wrong and you, you do repent, but then you, it's because you haven't broken the habit you've got to deal with it that way. And it just, it slows you down. Um, you know, and it's just, um, so I, I do talk about sloth. I mean, actually let's say something about this, about 
one of the main the or sub the main sub thesis of the book. I mean, chapter one kind of introduces the whole concept of basically com- become gaining dominion over your life in a godly direction. And um, the last chapter is more or less the same thing. It's kind of like mm-hmm. a closing on the same argument. Mm-hmm. That's a major. But then the minor, the, the secondary theme that I do in chapter two, if I, re- I don't have the book in front of me, and believe me, I can forget things that are amazingly, <laughs> should be amazingly obvious, or I should well know. But the thing is, I tie um, the major two temptations in, in the first nine chapters of Proverbs. There's two temptations in which, Solomon like takes on the voice of the tempter. Mm-hmm. You know, he speaks the words of the tempter. The first one is in chapter one right away. It's join us in being an armed robbery gang and making, getting loot, making our lives, making mm-hmm. our living that way. And then the other one is later on the, the adulterous woman. She, she, she entices the, the young man to um, come enjoy her and enjoy all this stuff that she probably got from her husband all right and that he's going to get without having to work for it or earn it or inherit it or anything um and i tie i tie those and i i really am confident about this so you know if someone wants to doubt it, i know what i don't know to tell them I, I to me the dominion mandate was be fruitful and multiply and take dominion of the world so from the young man's standpoint the things he's got that the as a human being a male you know females too um it's work and from the man's standpoint, wife, you know, marriage. It's make a living and get married and have children and teach them to do likewise, okay? Now, not everyone has to get married, by the way. I, I mm-hmm. talked about that. It's, I'm not right. saying that quite that universal. Right. And not everyone takes dominion in the same way either. I mean, I, sure. I point out there's diversity there. But the point is the negative forms of those two basic uh, mandates is to not work but take from others – and to not get married, but do other stuff. Adultery mm-hmm. is the main one because that not only does that are you not are you violating any kind of marriage ethic on yourself, but you're also violating someone else's. Mm-hmm. So, as I I basically interpreted, you know, the basic things that Solomon was trying to prevent um, was sloth and you know sexual perversion, fornication, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's interesting, the, the way he spells out this whole, this whole um, scenario with the, with the woman who's, you know, offering herself to this young man. Uh, first of all, she does it. She does mention all the luxury items that she's going to include in this. So it really ties back to the robbing people and getting, you know, getting all this wealth without having to mm-hmm. earn it. Um, and both, by the way, are compared to animals. You know, in the first one, an animal never would never you can't if he saw a trap, the animal would not go into it. That's what you're doing. If you join this band of robbers Um, with her, you know, the guy who goes off with her is going like an ox to the slaughter. So. um, So you've got all these connections between them, and it's the anti-Dominion mandate. It's the anti-Genesis one mission of humanity. And you are degrading yourself by becoming this kind of person. And. um, so I, I, that's that's basically the secondary theme that kind of controls what I, I say. So it's basically the first part of the book is basically sloth and adultery, though I don't say as much about fornication. It's only one chapter. And um, and then I talk about tongue and language issues just because that deserves its own place. Because if you try to like take everything out of Proverbs, it's about speech. 
that's about half of Proverbs. So I spend two chapters on that. Yeah. I, yeah. There, there are a couple of things along those lines that, that came to mind was, um, I, I know you don't necessarily walk um, Israel's history um, when you call back to the Genesis one and, and the dominion mandate you give it. But if someone is familiar enough, you can, you can then pull out scriptural illustrations of the very sorts of vices or the very sorts of um, things you, you draw out. So it almost is like, you know, you said it, it, it could be read maybe as a catechism. It, it, it's almost like a way you could teach um, Old Testament history or human history. I think um, so. I think especially Genesis. I did make the case that there are a lot of links between Genesis and Proverbs. If you read yeah. Proverbs as a, menace, as a meditation on Genesis, you can go a long way with it. Yeah, I thought that was um, fascinating. I had never thought about that. Yeah, because you do. I mean, God talking to Cain sounds like a, a father talking to a son, begging him to, 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 to real, realize where he's going and what, what's going on. And, you know. It really um, does. Yeah. And you've got, and, you know, wife, what's uh, it, house and house and this is awful. You know, I wrote down a bunch of texts of Proverbs just so I knew this would happen, but instead I want this one and I can't remember it. But anyway, house and right. wealth fathers but a, a wife is from the lord and those story of abraham getting a wife for isaac seems very much like that mm-hmm. i mean you've got this kind of um i've done a lot for you but there's, there's only so much more i can do so god's got to give you the right wife and if it doesn't happen this way then you my servant are off the hook you you know so you, you've got i think you've got a lot of that in there i mean anyway so there's there's all of that i mean the other the other thing I should you, you probably remember, and I, I should just mention this because I know it's we, we've danced around it. It's one of the things I talk about in the book is how much Proverbs is different than what happened before. And like in terms of, um, for instance, the laws for, about adultery and sexual sin and marriage in the old te- in the Pentateuch. It's all Old Testament. We're going earlier Old Testament. Right. They look really like they're t- mainly concerned with protecting young women from predatory males. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And that obviously is a concern. Solomon would agree with that. But in Proverbs, the situation he describes is totally weirdly not that. It's a bizarre kind of, I don't even want to say, I mean, it's like something that happens in some public school settings. It's, you know, it's a scandal. It's just, it's just weird. But, um, and, you know, I tried to, and I, there's other things that are different. Um, Solomon is often, like he's warning about sleep. Yeah. And we all understand why. And um, I think it's actually a, kind of a metaphor for any kind of not paying attention um, because sometimes it's really, they're not really asleep They're, I mean, obviously the guy whose field got overrun with weeds, he was not, uh, he did not go to sleep for a hundred years. Not literally. It's not Rip Van Winkle. He wasn't paying attention. He didn't care. He got distracted by the thing. So, you know, open your eyes or know well the condition of your flock is what mm-hmm. is what Solomon says elsewhere. And that's what he's aiming at. Mm-hmm. But the point is, I don't think we have anything like that before Solomon, where mm-hmm. sleep is portrayed as the enemy. Now, it's a time when you're vulnerable. So Sister falls asleep. He gets assassinated. So, you know, Solomon is kind of alluding to that situation that you go to sleep and poverty comes on you like an armed robber. So the metaphor right. is there, but mostly sleep is good. And sleep is actually mentioned as a good thing in Proverbs a couple of times. So why is it suddenly a threat that you have to be careful about? Same thing with strong drink, actually. Our warnings about drunkenness, 
there is one text about not if your son's a drunkard and a glutton, and actually that means career criminal. That doesn't actually, it you know, I, I, I won't get into that. But anyway, but that's the only negative text you have, and you have a couple of stories maybe. I mean, obviously Lot was in control of faculties when he drank too much. Um, right. So you can get that, but there's no emphasis on it at all. Until right. Solomon comes around and all of a sudden he like just writes poetry about the, you know, poems about the evil of, um, of uh, this alcohol and how it can mess you up. And um, so I surmise that what's going on is that Solomon is living when the people of God have been blessed with a bunch of prosperity they never had before on levels they never had before. Society is changing. And people now can mess themselves up a lot worse precisely because it takes longer for it to happen. Mm. So that's my argument that, mm. um, you know, if I think, for instance, uh, the Proverbs 10.1 or 10.2, um, you know, a son who sleeps in har- a son who sleeps in harvest, a son who brings shame. Um, okay. I doubt that any farmer's son actually didn't learn that lesson really quick, <laughs> right. but I'll bet when there's more urban dwellings, when more people are going to Jerusalem, when there's more jobs and there's also more commerce, I'm betting that it's a lot more easy. It's a lot easier to find work, lose work, go mm-hmm. get other work when you need to, to live in a way that gets you by, but doesn't build up anything for the future and leaves you vulnerable to a lot of bad stuff happening and mostly builds up bad habits in you because you are not trying to build anything. You are, you are trying to get away with drifting and that becomes all you can do. So I I have that. That's kind of my argument. in I think chapter two, chapter three, maybe um, that, that there's this, you're, you know, you need wisdom in a way that you didn't need it before because consequences are more hidden and you can really mess yourself up. And, you know, you know, I, I, I point out that God, um, God cursed the ground with thorns and that was good. You know, obviously kind of caused privation and therefore a man, you're going to have to work and man is going to have to work in order to get what he needs to live, etc. Well, proverb, there's a proverb that says the sluggard has made his way of, of, of thorns, a way of thorns around his way. I mean, we create our own curse by our behavior mm-hmm. and we get, addicted to our own behavior we get led by it and that goes back to my main thesis with proverbs is, is encouraging you to be led by habits that are good and productive and not by habits that are ple- pleasant but destructive and um so yeah so so um i mean <clears throat> try to memorize you you know this started as i'm going to memorize you know proverbs and then you you made these connections so at, at what level did our current cultural condition or circumstance um, kind of help magnify what you were seeing there? Because it seems to me that while you and I are old enough to have plenty of illustrations of our own lack of wisdom, but here we also can observe kind of what's going on in the world around us. And it seems like, um, it's a, it becomes, um, easy to spot illustrations today, you know? So how much, how much, what, what you sense going on in, in how the world has changed for, 
for you or for us, how, how much, how much of that kind of went into, I got to write something for people today that, that, because I see oh. these things magnified in ways that, yeah, I'm sure, like you said, they, they weren't going on before Solomon, but boy, we could say the ball has really rolled really hard downhill since. Well, obviously we're more prosperous than anybody in history. Yeah. So, you know, what happens when you have multiple generations of, in, of, of incredible prosperity? I mean, Solomon could not imagine this world. No. I mean, you think about this. I mean, 150 years ago, if you had told people, well, re- really, every teenager is going to be in a big metal vehicle driving 60 miles per hour to go to rock concerts. You know, I mean, you know, you know the way we look at um, Iron Man and the Avengers and his suit of armor, that's how fantastic it is. I mean, this is these are, you know, this, we just and that's a simple, you know, horses, carriage stuff. I mean, that's not yeah, anything sure. else, you know. Sure. I mean, our communication right now, the fact that we can all be on, you know, and locked down and still talk to each other. Um, so we're incredibly prosperous. Now I didn't talk much about cultural things, but I think a lot of our vices that are becoming, you know, human rights or whatever, it, it that is a, a privilege. That is a, mm-hmm. a result of being able to think we're gods and that we're above nature and above limitations. And, um, I, I think that is not, by the way, what the book is about. I mean, the book doesn't, you know, actually, I don't even mention much about gender because, I mean, I don't think Solomon is, when he's talking about young men, he's thinking about boys as opposed to adults. Mm-hmm. He's not necessarily worried about boys versus women or anything like that. It's right. just, I mean, he's concerned that boys want the right kind of woman and he's concerned that they listen to their mothers. He's very big on that along with fathers. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. um but um, I think that it basically it's seen, and also there's a sense in which the prophets do this with idolatry, that God prospers Israel and Israel uses their prosperity to make idols. In fact, Solomon himself eventually falls for this. I mean, right. and uh, I, something I don't deal with in the book, but we can talk about it if you want. I've got some ideas. Um, but so we, we've got all these blessings but does that mean we don't have to worry about like where children come from or, right. you know, what kind of um, habits we develop? I mean, now I, you know, and there's obviously going to be disagreements about where the, the boundaries are. And I'm not, like I said, the book's not even about that in one sense. Mm-hmm. I don't deal with it, but um, I do think that prosperity, it does liberate us, but we also got to be careful. It doesn't make us think that we're gods, uh, you know, in the, in, the, sure. in, the, in the sense that we have no limits and that society will not suffer and the consequences will be delayed and be to some extent, they won't be, there'll be no quick fix once we're dealing with them and we realize that we are. So, right. you know, I, I, guess, I guess one of the things I had in mind, this might help. I guess one of the things I had in mind was I, I chuckled um, in, uh, let me find out which chapter it was in chapter. I think it's your chapter on the future. Uh, so that was about, that was a yeah, that was fighting, a, fighting for the future. Oh yeah. Um, and, and I, I chuckled really well. You, um, you had a section, um, handguns can't shoot down poverty. Oh yeah. And I just, and that's what really brought this to mind. It, while I understand it was unintentional and it maybe wasn't the purpose of the book culturally, but 
I I laughed. I mean, listen, I I laughed at the line. Um, in fact, I wrote it in the in the margin. Uh, if you're dependent on and responsible for a car, for example, the ability to repair or replace it is probably more pressing need than combating hostiles who have taken over Nakatomi Plaza. Now, oh, yeah. some, I mean, that guys our age would get that. I mean, immediately that's a Bruce Willis callback. You know? Yeah, that, yeah. Is, is, I probably. But, but it, but it was but but I'm looking at that and I'm thinking well you know right now in our cultural climate that is a prized idolatrous possession right well it's you know it's funny I'm um I, like I don't I don't know if I want to reveal this because I'd like no one to be offended and read my book but here's the deal <laughs> just so you know I mean I'm a Second Amendment absolutist um, on the other hand I never well I don't I don't want to I guess. On the other hand, I don't own a handgun, so you know I could see you know robbers right. come to my house. Anyway, right, um, right. So, but the point is, what is the real things that you're going to be dealing with in your life? And you know, if you exactly. have the money to buy one and and train yourself, I think it's a fine hobby. I've, sure. I've got friends who've got to do that very well. And I, th- yeah, shoot, I I and I wish more policemen had the resources to do that, a lot more of that because um, never mind. I'm just yeah, is they yes. need the. Yes. If you're going to have one, you should have practice a lot. Um, but my point was is that people need to be realistic and not have these like distracting glory visions in their head. Yeah. Unless they're going to make the metaphors back into their life as they actually have to live it. They have to, the sure. monster they have to deal with is poverty. And mm-hmm. I mean, even middle-class people need to, re- I, that is really dangerous. I mean, I'm not, yes. you know, that's yes. that kind of thing. You, you've got to, keep in mind what's real and what, what, what challenges you really are going to face in life and what will really help your, yourself, uh, your wife or your husband and your children, if you have any, and you know, your, and uh, your friends, even if you don't have all those things, your extended family. And, you know, obviously, you know, I am fine with, you know, someone owning whatever. Um, but what are you, realistically what are your challenges in life and what should you face i think having a enough money in the bank that for instance you suddenly lose your job because you can't go to work anymore legally i mean right now preppers are looking awfully wise i wouldn't have said this would be a different interview three five weeks ago because i wouldn't quite thought that way but um right you know so um there is that so yeah i use that as an illustration of a point i thought it was good I yes. did it with such confidence because I was actually on the, you know, go ahead and own your own RPG kind of side of the legal question. But the point is you got to make wise decisions, not decisions right. based on action movies. Right. You know, right. I actually, can we talk about Bruce Willis for a minute? I mean, yeah. I don't mean him personally, but his, his <laughs> acting, the appeal of right. his acting career. I, I just saw, and I shouldn't even admit that I ever watched this movie, but you know, we've already let, you know, Die Hard one out of the out of the out of the tent. So I might as well. I remember watching um, what is it? Oh, The Last Boy Scout, which is a much more raunchy, even raunchier, and a lot more problems than um, Die Hard. But it really got to me how Bruce Willis's job is to represent a guy who drinks too much, who smokes, who looks. I mean, granted, he, he stays slim, but other than that, he is a, you know, he's an old guy and he catches a, a guy of, a, 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 the fist of a, of a 
football player and 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 squeezes him, makes him like go down to the floor because he's got such a hard grip. Now the the um football player is played by a can't I can't remember his name, but anyway, oh, I can't he's a very small guy actually. So I don't think he's I don't think. But my point is, it's like no, if you want to be strong, you actually have to not live that way. You cannot you know pour tobacco into your lungs and expect to be an action hero. You it just can't happen especially as Bruce Willis gets older. Now, I don't think his latest, you know, anyway, yeah. my point is it's, it, there's always this kind of um, ideal that there's a hard drinking vice ridden person who's actually the hero who saves civilization. It, it, it's played over and over in our movies. And I, I kind of like, I kind of, I want to go on. What are, what are people trying to feed when they, when they feed on that kind of fantasy? Um, mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes it's a superhero, so it's a little bit more understandable, but it's still is kind of a toxic way of thinking on the Jessica Jones. I like that. I was, you know, I gravitate. No, but yeah, kinda... do you think, I mean, it could possibly be, you know, to, to, to kind of call back to your major kind of emphasis in the book in terms of, you know, be fruitful. Um, multiply, failure, subdue it, have dominion. Um, it could be it, it could be this false means of thinking how I'm going to have dominion. So if I've got these odd odd visions, I've got these odd ideas that uh, they are completely inconsistent with what it looks like to pursue wisdom. Uh, you know, our our action films tend to portray a way to have dominion without necessarily being terribly wise. That's right. And somehow they're successful. And the other thing is, um, and this is, since we're diving into bad movies here, <laughs> um, the replacement killers, she actually said it, it's like two criminals who are at least not going to kill children. So they're, they're good guys in this film because um, they're preventing that from happening. And she says to the, the hero, um, she says, did you ever want to do that one good deed that would wipe out all the stuff and, I'm editing it stuff mm-hmm. you did. And I think that's one of the things that people want to believe that if they were in the right circumstances and had the right test, they would show themselves to be so virtuous and so capable. And so they would do good with such alacrity that their, their character would be, would be vindicated. Mm-hmm. And the problem with life that they have is it's too, dr- too much drudgery. People don't appreciate them for what they are. And therefore, they can't be expected to function at that level. And they just want to be able to do that one good deed. And the Bible is like, no, it's this is the test. This is the life you're living. These are your these are your skilla and your, you know, your hydra and your charybdis. These are your monsters to face. And, you know, it says in Romans 2, you know, that God, God, um, your praise is not from men, but from God. Well, what does that mean? It means he likes what you're doing now. And he, or he considered some, he'd like to like what you're doing now. Right. He would like you to show him how he would live in these circumstances. That's mm. something that's kind of in my head. It's not in the book, I don't think, but it's something that might be in the next book. I don't know. Yeah. That, um, you know, that you're so like with, and that's kind of behind going back to the real question you had about the second amendment. That's the question. Are you trying to be ready for, an amazing thing that's in your mind as a fantasy? Are you actually trying to engage your real life? 
Uh, and obviously that's not the same as a question of whether you should own a gun. That's totally different, but sure. it's, it can be, it can be a false way to, to get to a wrong, to get to the wrong answer for you at that time in your life. Yeah. I mean, I, I talk, you talk to someone like any financial counselor, you look at financial news and I'm not any hero on this. So I'm not trying to like say I'm better or anything. I'm just saying what people face are bills. Right. That's the real life. That's real life. That's real life. And, um, and yes, there's other stuff that happens in the margin still because we live in a pretty civilized society still. And, you know, you can try to, you know, protect yourself against that with various means, but what's the real things that you as a human being in a, in this time, in this place, wherever you are, have to deal with. And, um, well, how no, does God want you to operate in those? Yeah. And, and you, and you, uh, you provide a great, um, uh, illustration uh, in terms of uh, how you could take these particular kind of issues and circumstances and teach a younger person because you 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 uh, hit another uh, I think another cultural piece where um, uh, you, you described kids who uh, want to get a job to get the extra things that their parents don't provide them so they get conditioned to this is why I have a job to get the things I like they don't see or not exposed to the fact that what do people have as bills? Yeah. So now they've established a habit that my job is for all these things I want. Yeah. When, when, when it comes time now to venture out on my own, I'm having a problem figuring out how do I have what I want and pay my bills. And so, and you're totally used to having what you want and getting it at a certain time and getting it. Exactly. And so maybe, you know, maybe I should have also included another illustration about a PlayStation or about right. you know, Xbox. Right. Because, yeah, you can get a job and you can afford these toys. But then what do you do? You've been buying. You've been buying toys and you've been getting meals and you're, you don't you can don't have to pay rent. Yep. And then you don't have to worry about losing your job and then having to pay rent when you don't have income. Right. Now, I'm look, people are in their different circumstances. I'm not saying that they can sure. obviously no one can immediately change their behavior or change their life in that way. I mean, also they can't immediately change their behavior in some ways too. That's the problem. But they ought please think about this stuff and prepare for it. I mean, because there are other people who actually do deal with like life a little bit better. Mm-hmm. And what we tend to do is resent them for it. Mm-hmm. or attribute it to some kind of advantage they had in life, which may be true, but what good does it do you to think that way? Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I think that, um, I mean, the chapter you talked about is like, I kept, basically, I was trying to write under the, the broad label of sloth, mm-hmm. but sloth also includes just not thinking about the future. Right. I talk about the prodigal son. He had all, had all that wealth. There's no reason mm-hmm. he should have been totally impoverished by a famine in the land, Right. He must have been thinking that he could spend all this stuff and that life would stay like normal and there would never be, you know, the coronavirus. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Not in the book. But, you know, that's, right. that's nothing, nothing bad would happen that he would have to actually be saved for. And obviously no one can plan for everything. I mean, the Bible tells you to live this way at the same time telling you you don't know the future. So, I mean, right. there's. I mean, bottom line is wisdom, though. That, but that's yeah, the, that's the yeah. feature of wisdom, and you and you point that out. Wisdom is intimately connected to the future. I mean, I think yeah. that is. A, I think you yeah. Know. So, yeah. Uh, before we get too too far gone and run out of time, I, so two chapters on the tongue. 
Yeah, that's because I said some things about the tongue. I knew I wanted to say and realized that I couldn't close it there because Proverbs is a lot bigger. So I went back and like did some more study and added the well, second chapter to some more that, principles. And I think it's important because, you know, a, a lot of times folks uh, come to the Proverbs, the average person, and you know, it's the, it, it appears as this poop potpourri of wise sayings, and it can be distracting because you're not seeing how they fit together. And you've provided a means to do that without having to say, here's kind of a structural analysis of, uh, of the book of Proverbs. Here's a thematic kind of way to draw out, you know, how we ought to uh, pursue wisdom. And, and, then you, and then you remarked earlier about the fact that about half of Proverbs is about speech, is, yeah. is about the way we talk. And, and here's where I go with a We're in another cultural moment where, man, things that are said and, 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 and the, the idea of truth. And I don't know if you've ever read Frankfurt's little book on BS, but, you know, you, you've, got, you've got that to deal with. I mean, so speech and truth, I mean, throw something out there for us, uh, for, the, for the listener who might go, you know, I might buy the book just for the two chapters because right now, man, who knows what to think? Well, for one thing, let's okay. So step back for a minute. I'm just trying to think of several things to say. One is that in the book, I argue that when you think of wisdom and when you read like the stories of Solomon and Kings, wisdom seems to be something you exercise when you're sitting on a throne or at a judgment seat deciding a case. All right. So Proverbs, you look at it, it's all about character and about how you talk. Well, it's all about getting the right habits and the right character, developing the right character. If you could listen to a case with true impartiality and mm. hear it and make a, make a good decision, maybe not the right decision, but the best decision you could. And that takes character. Mm. You know, he who answers before he hears, it's, a folly, it's his folly and shame. Um, if you have that discipline in your mouth, you will have to form a different kind of brain. I mean, not literally brain, but a different kind of mindset. Right. Right? You know, you will have to be, you, you want to know what, how to think logically, discipline how you talk and react to people. Take, even though you don't know the future, take some responsibility in terms of thinking about what your tone is communicating. Because, mm -hmm. I mean, if you're, I mean, I've, you know, now I think about this stuff because I've written a book about it. Um, I mean, I remember on, on some job, I won't say where I work, but I, I have a couple of part-time jobs. And I mean, I, something was said to me that the person did not know they were talking to the person that they were complaining about. You know, they were complaining about my underling. They called me on the phone and said that I had promised something and not done it. And I had said nothing of the kind. And I was so stupid to say, I did not say that. And it was like, as soon as that came out of my lips, I was like, oh, that's great, Mark. You just escalated this for, for no reason. You could have actually diffused it. Mm -hmm. Anyway, it got diffused eventually, but I just made a whole bunch of more interesting time for myself. <laughs> and that's the thing. The, first of all, the overwhelming view of – one is that Proverbs is really concerned about concealing stuff. And I don't mean by lying or deception. I mean it actually says you shouldn't do that. But it says you shouldn't necessarily throw out all the information or everything you know willy-nilly to everyone, which obviously with our present level of technology is a huge deal. We really need that lesson. Mm -hmm. And obviously I especially need that lesson. Okay. And the second thing is that it seems to me that there is an over 
overarching view that you have more words than are useful to let out of your mouth, mm. in, you know, inside your head or, you know, whatever that metaphor, like a space where there are words mm-hmm. are. And that wisdom is speaking less and discriminatingly discriminating what word you use rather than just speaking more. Mm. I mean, you know, the, um, you know, it says, you know, a fool spouts off whatever he thinks, but a wise man listens to advice. I've butchered that text, but that's the gist of it. The, the last part about the wise man is a quote. You know, you know, you, I talk about this in a book. You would think about a wise man is known for what he says, mm-hmm. but a lot of times as a Solomon, it's known for what he listens to when he restrains his lips and listens, whereas a fool is only interested in spouting his own opinions. Mm-hmm. He won't listen to wisdom mm-hmm. because he's too, he, he loves it too much. So, you know, when we say something that we really think is true and deserves to be said, that's very pleasant. Mm-hmm. All right. That pleasure does not compensate the real damage we bring on ourselves if it's not the right thing to say. Mm-hmm. And I, by right thing to say, I mean, is there anything possibly constructive that could result? Now, here again, we have the problem of people living in a fantasy rather than reality, because, of course, we can all say, oh, I'm John the Baptist, or I'm Luther before Eck, or I'm, you know, we can all imagine these incredible scenarios where we say, bah, I'm speaking truth to power. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of that really is a, a facade, because the fact is, because of the second, the First Amendment, and I'm, I'm happy for the First Amendment, I'm also a First Amendment absolutist, so, I mean, we're not speaking truth to power, we're, we can legally get away with it. So, you know, we just develop the habit of saying what's ever in our mind. And then when we get in a situation where it's going to cost us, we don't even think about it. And we just do it anyway. Bad, bad. That's not wisdom. (laughs) Secondly, um, we are called to kind of, um, golly, I say secondly, I didn't even know where I was going with this. This is a problem. I talked too fast to follow what I was thinking. But, I mean, the Bible talks about the, the virtue of keeping silent not sharing information, not repeating things that will cause trouble, like not, not rehearsing things that are true and that you know, but that actually increase bad feelings between people. Mm-hmm. Um, the Bible also talks about not belittling other people and not making enemies. And it, it's, it just goes, you know, obviously the Bible shows this kind of behavior sometimes when you have to speak because God's told you to speak and, and, and so on. And sometimes you have to speak up, but you've got to be careful mm-hmm. about, am I doing this with a positive goal? Is there something I can hope that's going to happen at least reasonably and say to the Lord, you know, on the last day, this is, this is why I was speaking. And obviously you can make mistakes, mm-hmm. but we at least need to get to the point where we make mistakes rather than just habitually throwing grenades out there. Yeah, that's a good point. This is, this, is, this is where I talk about the Second Amendment again, actually. You know, I talk about, you know, people who are armed, they keep their guns holstered. They're not stupid. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, you know, when everyone has a gun, you, you don't, you, you know, you learn how to keep the safety on. Yeah. So uh, people with their mouths, life and death is in the power of the tongue. Um, mm-hmm. You don't want to be doing stupid stuff, making yourself, making enemies for yourself. When it's not necessary. Right. And, you know, look, I would say that Jesus in his earliest ministry, he told parables precisely to kind of keep some people from understanding them. I mean, you look at um, the first time parables are mentioned in Matthew and, and, and Mark. I can't mm-hmm. remember Luke at the moment, but 
he said he was trying to hide the truth. I mean, now it, I think it was truth that could be understood by some people. They thought about it, but it couldn't get him prosecuted. Now, when he's in Jerusalem and he's ready to die, you know, he he decides to throw he decides to use parables the other way to get people to listen to him, and then just you know, yeah, get himself killed. Yeah. But that my point is that was all part of the plan, right? He had a plan. So we are supposed to be thinking about what we want in the lives and area around us where we have influence and what we want to do. And, um, you know, and also, and then, and then also, you know, in person for the people and in classrooms and in other settings, we just have to get to have got to think about what is going to make a difference, what is going to help. And also if there are going to be negative consequences, why do you have to speak? I mean, a person, a young man, especially, Look, he wants to grow up. He wants to gain power, maybe in a in a righteous way. It might. It's perfectly okay to keep quiet sure. about stuff that other people don't want to hear. You're not necessarily responsible for for saying, you know, for contradicting people and explaining to them why they're wrong. Right. They are some for some reason they don't appreciate that usually. <laughs> I, I don't know what it is because you know you do and I do all the time, right? So I just was trying to tell to tell people that they need to um, that Proverbs recommends and the whole Bible recommends being in the habit. So this doesn't mean you can't you shouldn't ever rail. It just means you're right. in the habit of being slow to speak. You know, actually, this is you know James one, yeah. slow to speak, slow to anger, quick to hear. All mm-hmm. right. Does that mean you never speak? No, Mm-mm. but it means there is like your forebrain is involved before it comes out of your mouth. Yeah. Because, and I talk about this uh, in our culture, um, comedies, sitcoms, the, the, the entire premise of most sitcoms is the, 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 um, the loveliness of the quick comeback, the quick quit. And of course we were raised on these sitcoms via Disney or whatever from toddlership. Yeah. And we, and so that cannot, fail to influence us and influence how we interact. And well, what is that? That's rehearsed scripted interplay. That's being used to sell an ideal of quick wit and spontaneous interaction, but it's not spontaneous. It never, it's not at all. So it's like reality TV. Yeah. It's not not really reality TV. That's that's right. So, and and then besides, even if it is, then it's, it's chosen, it's chosen nuggets that work out the way the, And actually most of the time, you know, anyway, so that's, I talk a lot about, and I talk some, and in a sense in Proverbs is almost as if it's not so much as a section on speech, there's a a speech aspect to everything else Proverbs is talking about, Mm -hmm. being productive, Mm -hmm. being moral, Mm -hmm. all those things. So you you, you haven't, and I I think like, I think in um, Ephesians, when Paul says to the the thief should no longer steal, but work with his hands, they have Mm -hmm. something he has a need, that's in the middle of a section on speech. So it's like, it's like he has this, there's like, um, you have this, and then also then when he goes into this immoral speech and also he goes into immoral behavior. So it's like, mm-hmm. there's an, it's a, it's just all combined. So I think mm-hmm. for instance, how you deal with authority, how, how you speak is a large part of that. How you deal with your servants, how you speak is a large part of that. How you deal with the equals and all that stuff. So. Yeah. I think I, fa- I found, I found it, it equally compelling to the way you, you looked back to Genesis but also how um, your mind begins to race when you 
when you see or as with what you've done in the book, help us to see some of these important themes and their connections and their relationships. And then you, you hit the New Testament and you just pointed out James you pointed out Paul. You you alluded uh, to references about how how Jesus, you know, knew what to say, when to say it, and what his purpose and intent was. There's there's a there's a universality to what's going on in the pursuit of wisdom that that's, that shows up in the where we started at with the idea that there ought to be some progress in our habits toward righteousness. There ought there yeah. ought to be. And so, yeah, so let's. One thing I don't think I've said yet, and it goes back to the, the beginning of the premise, is that you see, you, you can know what God wants you to do, and you, should, you can know how you, want to, you should behave. You also should think of yourself as a person who needs to become more quick to behave that way. Mm-hmm. That's a different thing. Mm-hmm. How do you train yourself mm-hmm. to be more likely to do what God wants? How do you make yourself want to do God, what God wants? How do you make yourself quicker to do what God wants? And and I will tell you that I think that's a se- separate question than how you deal with, with sin in your life. And what I mean by that is that um, I think Jesus actually had to go through that process as well. Mm-hmm. Not that he had, he had no sin in his life, right. but as he matured, it says very explicitly in Luke that he grew in wisdom. Mm-hmm. And that, I believe, means he, kept, he brought himself into more control over himself, and he became a person who was more capable of doing things. And in fact, I mean— and this actually was, I mean, in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus, Jesus asked for God to take away the cup from him. Mm-hmm. Well, he had said earlier he was going to drink it. Right. You know, when he's, in, when he's talking to James and John, he says, hey, can you drink the cup I'll drink? That's 10 on confidence level, right? Right. <laughs> but, you know, getting to the night before, the night of, is different than whatever, a few months down the road. So he suddenly is sweating blood, mm-hmm. and he prays, and he then what? He gathers himself together. He goes out there. And when Peter um, tries to cut off an ear or cuts off an ear, excuse me, uh, Jesus just says to him in John's gospel, hey, am I not going to drink the cup that my father put before me? Mm-hmm. And he doesn't go sweating blood or doing any of that in front of Pontius Pilate and Herod and all right. that, at least. Right. So we, mm-hmm. and you know, Hebrews uses all that as, a, as, as, a, as an example mm-hmm. to us. Mm-hmm. I mean, it very much does. So right. We learn obedience to the things we suffer just like Jesus did. That's what Hebrews says. Um, and I think that means, like I say, I think that's different. It's, a, it's, a, it's not even, it's obviously related to how we deal with sin in our lives. Sure. For us. But what I'm saying is it would be something as creatures that we would have to do as human beings. Adam and Eve, the dominion mandate was also mandated to basically transform themselves to be better dominion makers, dominion takers, you know. Yeah. They would have to change in various ways. And I talk about that a little bit in the book. Yeah. So, um, Good. I mean, uh, I'm sorry. I guess this is how long do you want to go? I didn't even ask uh, you. About three. Oh, I, I usually okay. try, I try to respect time. And so if an hour is about what I give, but I'm, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm good. What, what I was going to, what I was going to, um, you had a subheading that kind of goes along with what you're describing. And I want to, I couldn't find it real quick. Um, I, I think it was, if I read, remember correctly, it was, um, you are what you do. Yeah. Is that sound? Did that? Did I, I think so. I should have, I've got my books in the other room. I should have brought one in here. That was stupid, but yeah. Well, uh, the, the reason it came to mind was, is I've, I've read a little bit of Dallas Willard um, before he passed, but th- that was a, 
really prominent theme when it came to the very subject you're hitting upon was that um, we are what we do so that when we are trying to determine what sort of person we will be, we can't say, I really am this way when we're, our doing isn't consistent with that. So it's, it, it, it came to mind. Now, he, yeah. you know, he, has, he has some other ideas, but they're not in, in, in conflict. They're just a, a different way of talking about it than what you're, you're laying out. But this is the sort of thing that we have to think about. And so it goes back to the future. What kind of person do I want to be? Yeah. And, and, and so I, I got to do the things that it, that, that, and that's uh, results. Yeah. That's, I, that's what I argue. I mean, going back to the first temptation to become a, a robber, to live by robbery, mm-hmm. live by plunder. Mm-hmm. I argue that the warning and the part of Solomon's warning is there is that these people who make their living this way don't actually become people who are a- after gold and silver and stuff. No, they're not like a person who, you know, I, I'm going to go out to work today and go to my robber's nest and, you know, I'll be back with some money, honey, so we can buy some food. No, they actually get to enjoy what they do, right. which means murder. They right. become psychopathic killers. That's right. his argument. Is I argue that's a distinct phase in the argument or one of his arguments against mm-hmm. this lifestyle. And that is we become what we do. We, we, and we, um, um, we become um, – and that's – by the way, that's also the salvation or the, the hope we have in, in, on a very behavioral level is that if we break our bad habits – or resist addictions. Okay. That's horrible. You know, it's, we, we think about it. Well, I have to live the rest of my life longing for this thing that I'm now going to not, I've resolved not to have anymore. And I would argue that no, if you change your behavior, you'll eventually start changing your desires, but you got you know, if you do it right and, and right. prayer and there's fellowship and there's all sorts of things involved in that, but you become what you do. And so you need to start doing better things yeah. And making making them easier. I mean, the, the other argument I've made, and I'm making the book a little bit, and I made it several times recently, is that you know, a- superheroes or athletes, they don't do hard things. They just are able to do a lot more than the rest of us. So, I mean, superheroes are fictional, but um, sure. yeah, I know that. But uh, <laughs> but my point is, to if you to do a hard thing and to do it successfully with um, with you know, some predictable like. To, if, to doing a hard thing always means you will you will fail at some point because it's that's what hard means. What you want to do is to get make all of these things easier for you so you do them regularly, and with success. Yeah. Keep your temper. Don't yell at your kids. Um, all of that, yeah. and you do it by working on it, um, yeah. by practice. I mean, now there's no gym. You can't. You know, I talk about you know. Other religions have things where guys like, you know, spend the night with virgins to prove their self-control. That's, that's not a Christian method, obviously. But I use the example of David and I think a few others to talk about how you, you basically view the life you have now and the trials you have and you work on them as hard as you can. And as they get easier, you will get more chances to do other stuff yeah. and you will make progress. David, I mean, he was just relegated to guarding sheep bought a few animals and suddenly what do you know he's in front of goliath so um anyway so that's the kind of thing i mean the basic idea in the first chapter is that we gain the dominion mandate is to your own hands and feet your own arms and legs your tongue you need to get dominion over them and that goes back to james and how he talks about that getting dominion over your tongue is harder than taming an animal well that's dominion right to take dominion over the animals so yeah yeah 
I um I really enjoy talking to you, and I yeah. I, I hope yeah. I mean I hope uh, trust me the book is still worth buying if you're it's on the very much worth, it's the, very the, much it's very much worth buying. So what you got you got another project you're thinking about? You mentioned maybe a next book. You got something on your mind? You're um I've got something on my mind, um, and it, I think it's it, I was asked to do a, pro, a commentary on Ephesians because at one time I was working on that. I did not have a life where I feel like I could write a commentary per se, but I was thinking about doing a handbook on the Christian life that would kind of be a good sequel to this, but also a, a use Proverbs as kind of a manual to Christian life. Um, I, I'm working on it. I'm, I'm seeing how it will work. I, I've got some some notes I'm working on and we'll see how it goes. I, you got to know, I, I've got a lot of other things I have to do in my life right now to sure. keep food on the table or half the food on the table or whatever. So, um, right. You know, my writing time is it, these things come out slowly, but um, I've talked to my publisher and 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 um, I had, this has been something back a long time ago before I had the stroke, which is something we won't go into. Um, I was actually going to do that as a major project, and um, someone recently reminded me of it, and my publisher started talking me to me about it. So we'll we'll see. Yeah. But yeah, I've got more on the I've got more, and you know, you can find some of my writing at SolomonSays.net, and. Um, also, from there, you'll notice I write sometimes for Town Hall, yes, and the finance section. And, and uh, I was some... looking, I was looking at, um, I wasn't familiar with um, Logo Sapiens Communications. Yeah, that's my. I basically um, I get, I've got some support for what I'm doing, and that's the um, okay. Um, the, the website Solomon says.net, but, um, yeah, you can read about the logo savings communications there. It's, it's basically what my, I've got a board. We, we, we yeah. talk about stuff. We're trying to get publicized. They, they help. I mean, they, they basically sponsored this book Good. and yeah. allowed me to write it. Well, and some other help as well. I want those who listen to know that you, you have another book out uh, that I have in, in my office referred to it uh, recently and talked to some folks about your um, gospel according to Mark or Mark according to Mark. I love it. I love that. Yeah. The victory according to Mark, victory according to Mark. Yeah. I, I absolutely love that. And, and I think that, you know, um, folks would enjoy your writing, uh, your style. I, I you know, it, it's, it's, it's accessible. It's helpful. It's, you know, you're, you're some, you're somebody who can take um, someone who can be as verbose as MT, Wright, And you can kind of, you know, put it in a manner that, uh, you know, someone can kind of distill. I mean, I still remember our reading group, you know, reading through um, Jesus and the victory of God. So, I mean, there, those were, those were some times to, to see how I remember ideas, you know, you were. Well, I'm nodding in agreement with all the nice things you're saying about me, Todd. And (laughs) I do appreciate it. I, I love, I loved writing my, my, my commentary on Mark. That's more like what I expected to write Oh, that is more. I don't know. You've read both. I realize you probably know what I'm talking about when I say I've never expected to write this book because mm-hmm. I think it's a very right. different kind of writing. It is different kind of thing than the other mm-hmm. one. Yeah. Well, I do hope. Um, I, I, I hope. Um, you know. And yes, I feel like I never got the appreciation I should have. The book never got the attention it should have back in 2003, whenever it came out. I don't remember. Um, yeah. 2002. Anyway. But um, what I'm gonna say is that um. I, I do hope, I mean, I think people need to consider the stuff in Proverbs. We've even talked about how it seems to be more for apologetics and more, it was written to other nations, read this stuff and appreciated it. Whether or not they got converted, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. But um, 
So I hope people will read Proverbs and appreciate Proverbs as a, as a resource, most said weapon. That's fine. I can say weapon for Christians and their culture, and, but also for, on themselves and their, their path of discipleship there. But, um, and if my book could help do that, it's really meant to help them read Proverbs better. I mean, it's not everything to say about Proverbs. It's not everything to say about everything, but it is a way to, I think, get, get into Proverbs and get you excited about it. Well, I, I, think, I think it's a great book. I think you did Thanks. a great job. Yeah, and I'm happy to have you on today. I really appreciate it, Todd. Thank you so much. Hey, as always, I want to thank you for listening to Pathological, the podcast for the pastor theologian. We are uh, trying to schedule a, a few more conversations in the midst of uh, this COVID pandemic and maybe some things that will be helpful. Uh, wanted to uh, remind you that uh, on the uh, post where the podcast goes live, we'll have a link to Mark's two books and uh, a little bio about Mark. And I hope that you'll share that around. And uh, you can always help us out by leaving a rating and review in iTunes. It helps us continue to get found by new listeners. And so, if you uh, find this particular podcast helpful, share it around to, to those you know who uh, might have young men in their homes, uh, who might pastor churches looking for a resource uh, that in the midst of all the discussions about masculinity and manhood, uh, Mark offers uh, a, a really good vision for just living wisely in the world. And I, and I think you'll find it really, really helpful. Well, again, uh, this has been Todd Littleton with Pathological, the podcast for the pastor theologian. And until next time, peace.